Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Uh, actually, not see you. Uh, if you're watching this right now, it's because it's Saturday afternoon. Uh, we're recording this for you because of the storm that's coming in. And uh, we were just talking about how blessed we are to have this technology. Thank you for Christy and her ability and those that work on this. Uh, COVID's taught us some things in a positive way that we can do what we need to do or once we couldn't uh, do it. And so, uh, again, if you're watching this, this is a pre-recorded message. Uh, we didn't want you to, to miss Sunday completely. Uh, this will just be playing at the 1030 time, but it'll be online uh, on the website normally like it is. So let me just share with you a few announcements first, and then we'll get into the meat of the message. Um, this was to be uh, the Sunday for our third Sunday lunch, and so uh, we're putting that off just to next Sunday. So we're not going to miss a month. We're going to put it off to next Sunday. And there's also to be a business meeting uh, just to catch us up on the end of the year from this past year. And praise the Lord, uh, you have been so faithful. It is just astounding how much you have supported this last year and finished this year. Uh, if you've seen the email that went out from Brother Neil, our treasurer, you know that um, we've finished the year very, very well. And so we're just rejoicing in that. But that, that will all be next Sunday. So come prepared. Uh, Lord willing, we don't have any more problems uh, with weather um, for lunch and for the business meeting. I want to remind you, too, about January 23rd is the Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, so that's next Sunday. Uh, but in the meantime, the Thrive Ministry has asked us to uh, take some of the baby bottles, and several of you have done that. We still have some in the back, and, and I'm sure they'll continue this on. If you want to bring in change, you can, but the idea is to Take the little baby bottle and fill it up with loose change if you have that lying around. Uh, some of you may not. It's kind of an interesting commodity these days. Uh, but that'll be all in the event of um, uh, preparing for Sanctity of Life Sunday. So if you'll bring those in next week. Uh, but again, if you haven't had a chance to do that, you can bring them in later. I'm sure they'll take them without any problem. And then from us, us being my family, my wife and me and the rest, uh, our son Christian, you know, is getting married to Caroline Shank, and that's going to be on March the 20th, but uh, in lieu of that, uh, in fact, they're not having a lot of people coming to the wedding. We wanted to have a special time of celebration on February the 11th. That's coming up in just a couple weeks. We want you all to come. Uh, as many as you want to bring, just let us know. Uh, dinner will be provided, and then um, a lot of fun. That's going to be at 6 p.m., so uh, please plan on being a part of that. Uh, we love you, and we want you to be a, a part of this as much as you're willing to do so. Okay, and uh, don't worry about gifts, uh, but there is a registry, I understand. Uh, Debbie can let you know about that if you're interested in providing a gift from them. Uh, but just being here will be a, a great blessing if you'll do that. Okay, I'm sure there are many other announcements. Um, just be looking for emails from Pastor Hamp, and then um, we'll catch you up to date throughout the week or next Sunday for sure if there's more that we need to let you know about. There are several things that are happening. In fact, I should just mention, if you've uh, seen Pastor Hamp's email yesterday, I believe it was, uh, make sure that, or, or Thursday, make sure that you are paying attention to some of the other things that are coming up. Very exciting new year already kicking off. Okay, well, let's pray and uh, get our thoughts wrapped around what the Lord would have for us this morning. Lord, we do again count it a great privilege that we have this ability. Thank you for uh, the gift of technology. Sometimes we think of it as being very evil and distracting, and it is, can be, just like anything. Uh, but we do thank you for the privilege of being able to get your word out, that we can fellowship even from a distance. Uh, there's no substitute for us being together, and we're so thankful that we can do that. But at times like this, it's just a blessing. And so, we pray that uh, as each of us are in our respective ways, as this will be airing tomorrow, or rather this is uh, was recorded today, Saturday, but uh, uh, showing for the service on Sunday, people will be home, and there could be a lot of distractions. And so I pray that as people are watching this right now, uh, they'll be able to be free from that. Uh, kids will be settled, and their hearts and minds will be focused, as this is a very, very important time in the life of our nation, in the life of the church. And I'm not just talking about Laurel Hill, but the church universal. And so we would pray that you'd help our minds to stay focused and listen attentively and diligently to all that's said this week and the next couple weeks that come. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, um, just uh, as a little bit of a disclaimer slash warning, um, maybe just thought for you as parents of young children, uh, some of what you will hear over the next couple weeks may be a little sensitive in your minds uh, for your kids. And so uh, I'll do everything I can, as I try always to do, to be very sensitive in the way I phrase things and the way I present the subject. But just be aware that uh, some of this is not new for what's going on in our culture, in our uh, country, but it is uh, maybe more than you'd like for some of your children to hear. And if you want to chat more about that, please uh, call me or whatever, and we'll talk about it. Um, With that being said, uh, I want to take your minds back now just for a moment to two weeks ago. Some of you may remember this. I kind of gave it a passing thought, but it's been much on my mind. I told you that I was going to preach a special message today. Uh, which is going to turn out to be at least one more message, potentially two more messages, uh, because I have learned, and some of you I'm sure who follow the news have learned that there is a new law uh, that the Canadian government has just passed, a law concerning what they call conversion therapies. It's known as C4 in Canada. Uh, And basically the law is supposed to, and I'm quoting here, outlaw conversion therapies, and that is psychological treatments intended to retrain same-sex attracted people to prefer the opposite sex and individuals who believe they're transgender to embrace their biological sex. Now, I'm quoting from an article posted by The Daily Wire. If you're familiar with The Daily Wire, that is a conservative media company Uh, that offers a counter to much of what the culture is promoting and what you hear in the mainstream news uh, through opinion and through the entertainment world. And I have a link to this article if you're interested in uh, reading this. Um, But I want to give you a fuller or more clear understanding of this new Canadian law. And again, I'm going to be reading from the article here, uh, quoting from it that was just passed by Parliament that will... Uh, likely ban them from teaching, and this is in Canada again, uh, that homosexuality and transgenderism is a sin according to the Bible. But here's what it says, at least according to the article. The bill in question known as C4 unanimously passed both the House of Commons and the Senate before receiving royal assent on December 8th. And so this was just a few weeks ago meaning it will officially become Canadian law on January the 8th, which was just a couple days ago. But critics say C4's language is so broad, it also effectively bans preaching and teaching based on biblical sexual ethics. For instance, it could prevent counseling that references the many Old and New Testament passages that demonstrate God reserves sex for one man and woman within the bond of marriage. It could also criminalize any instruction that confirms human beings are created as indelibly male or female from birth. The Bible has no category for transgender other than to condemn men dressing like women and vice versa in verses like Deuteronomy 22.5. Even further, the bill, the article says, makes it a crime for parents to provide Christian therapy to their children suffering from gender dysphoria and prevents pastors and other religious leaders from offering biblical counseling or advice to same-sex attracted individuals who desire to obey God's commands to repent from the sin of homosexual practices and violations carry a penalty of up to five years in prison. Now that's directly quoting from the article, okay, and that's the law that has just been passed. Uh, They go on to further say The preamble of the bill says that the belief that, quote, heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth, unquote. According to Canadian law, as of January 8th, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. Now, at this point in America, there is no specific law, at least that I know of, against preaching and teaching the biblical truth on this subject. But when one nation, such as Canada, 
as close as they are to us, literally and figuratively, make such a law, it's pretty clear that in the progression of sin and the thoughtful thoughtlessness, I should say, of mankind, it probably won't be far behind. And and that's nothing new really for us, is that we've been watching this kind of thing over the years and pretty much uh, anticipating its arrival here in America. Uh, but this, in fact, has become law. Now, uh, I read you all of that, and the reason that I'm bringing all this up is because based on what has happened in Canada, Pastor and teacher John MacArthur has called on pastors across America and really the world uh, to stand alongside our brothers in Canada who will be even as of to, uh, today or what this recording will be for tomorrow, Sunday, January 16th, a law in Canada that will very possibly and quite likely impose some type of uh, legal uh, sanctions against them, and even up to the point of, of uh, jail time. And so because of that law, uh, and as Pastor MacArthur has called on pastors to preach this message today, I'm going to push back Matthew a couple more weeks uh, to stand alongside our brothers uh, in Canada and across the world uh, to preach on the subject of what God says about homosexuality and these various things and about his plan really for biblical sexuality and biblical marriage. And so I've titled the message today, God's Design for Human Sexuality and Marriage. And I should say biblical marriage. Now, for our purposes today, I specifically just want to address some of the major beliefs. Uh, Well, I'm going to address some of the major beliefs that the gay community has about sexual orientation and their arguments against God's word. But because there's so much to cover... And this is why I've said already a couple times, as I was putting this together, I thought we would be able to just do this for today, but you know me, and uh, there is just so much to cover that I think is so important for you and me alike to have as um, clarity of information to to know how to address some of these very, very pertinent and relevant subjects, uh, such as this one. And so we're going to take our time and just let God lead us through this. So Uh, Before we get to that, though, before we actually get to the subject, I just want to be clear that it is important for you and me to understand that it's not my intention, it should never be the intention of any true believer to cause someone harm, uh, uh, to come against them in in an ungodly way, who thinks differently from what we think. Um, After all, at least according to our laws in this country, we have the freedom of speech, uh, the freedom of opinion. And there are many people who have differing opinions on this subject. Uh, There are people who are on the gay side of the community who will have different opinions, and even there are people who are not in the gay community who have differing opinions that go against what the Scriptures teach. And I'm talking about people who have the opinion that God's Word is either a suggestion, as we've kind of made light of over the years, or light of in in that kind of phrase that God's Word is not a suggestion, It's the truth, but there are people who believe it to be more of a guide or that maybe it's changed in its meaning. There are many people more and more like that uh, on this particular subject or at least what was once believed to be true. Uh, God has somehow changed in his philosophy, his ideology, uh, his purpose and his intentions from what he originally started, uh, basically saying truth is relative. Uh, What you want it to be is good for you, uh, but leave me alone. Uh, because uh, the counter to all what truth is would say uh, truth changes over time, it's dependent on the situation, uh, or what's best for the individual. And, of course, that defies everything about what truth really is, meaning they would say that the Bible specifically is not the inerrant, infallible, most holy, preserved word of God, preserved for all time for all people, And it is unchanging, even though God himself says, and you and I know this from Scripture, Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. You know, we don't have to go very far to start seeing the truth of what uh, is happening here. James chapter 1, verse 17, James will say, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, listen to this, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Or perhaps some people would say it is infallible, and there are people like that, 
who side with the gay community, um, saying that, yes, the Bible is infallible. We just don't interpret it properly. Um, We all come to the Bible with our own views and our own taintedness uh, about how we were brought up. And um, so that has an effect on how we interpret the Word of God, even though it is infallible. Well, all that to say that if we don't start on the same foundation, and I think this is pretty obvious, if you're in an argument with somebody, and I mean that in a good way, not in a negative sense, but if you're in in an argument where you have opposing opinions, if you're not starting on the same foundation and from the same mutual agreement on the subject, then it's going to be impossible, basically, to have an agreement. Because for us as followers of God's word, our opinion is bound, or I should say but, as followers of God's word, our opinion is bound to and is to be formulated and framed by the word of the Lord. I mean, that's exactly what a child of God is to be, meaning that every true believer, true follower of Christ is under obligation and mandate to follow what God says in its entirety in his word without excuses without equivocating or equivocation or without manipulation, without rationalizing, without changing or adjusting what God has said, but to study it in its entirety, in its context, as clearly as we possibly can and understanding, diligently, and as Paul told Timothy, accurately handling the word of truth. Because the truth is, beloved, and you know this as well as I do, that God's word was given to every living soul not as a means to condemn or to judge or to even to accuse, but to help every living soul understand that they are sinful, just like you and me, and that they need to have their eyes opened from the power of Satan so that they can be rescued from certain damnation. John even said of Jesus, for God so loved the world. It's important that we remember this. I know it's a a scripture verse that we use often over time, But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what I love mostly about this particular section is John 3, 17. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We are all in need of salvation. Verse 18, John will say, he who believes in him is not judged. And that's because Christ has paid the judgment for us. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The Apostle Paul even said it this way when he was talking to the church in Ephesus as he was giving instruction to the people there. You just hear the Apostle Paul's heart in this. Listen, as he opens the letter, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because of what we just read in the previous passage, that we come into this world darkened. We are born sinners, and and we need to have the enlightening of God. And he says, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That should be the prayer for all of God's people. That should be our prayer as we look into this world and we see people so drastically drawn away by their own sinful tendencies that uh, we want them to come to an everlasting knowledge of the truth of God and so they will serve him and, and, and know him as their savior and receive his blessings and not his judgment. So the simple point I'm making with all of that is you and I are not to be in judgment of people. That's not our purpose. We're not to condemn. We're not to be the sin police, as we've said before. Uh, We're not to make ourselves better than anybody. We're not to be unloving. We're not to be any of those things, just the opposite. We are to align ourselves with the true light, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to follow him in everything he says, and then to help others come to know the light of Christ as much as you and I. And I can't emphasize enough, really, the importance of real love, because real love 
And this is where we're going to differ with the gay community in some ways and many other people, not just, not just the gay community. It could be different subjects, and we'll touch on some of those as we go through the next couple weeks. Uh, the truth is real love speaks truth. That's what real love does. It doesn't water it down. It doesn't manipulate it to fit the subject. But it speaks what God has said. In other words, love pushes and moves people, does its best to move people into what is right and holy, even if that recipient, the person that you're trying to love, doesn't want to hear it. Even if they don't want to accept the truth of what is happening because it hurts their feelings or because they just simply believe something differently. It is not true love to stand back and just watch the world uh, basically implode in whatever sin it is when we can give to them uh, the truth of God's word. Even Jesus said of the scriptures in John chapter 5 when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Now, the point I just simply want you to see there is that the Lord Jesus himself identified the truth of Scripture with himself. In other words, part of the argument here, and I won't get into into it today, but just understand that part of the argument from those who counter the word of the Lord, and especially in this subject, is, is that Jesus has changed. That the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. But here Jesus is saying, even to those who study the Old Testament scriptures, is that these very scriptures testify of who I am. I am the truth. And I have come to manifest myself as the truth. And so the idea of saying that God has changed somehow is ridiculous. It is absolutely not founded on biblical truth. And Jesus makes that clear himself. Again, we'll look at that much more clearly next time and as we have the opportunity. So at least for today, what I really want to do is just very simply, and we're not going to take a long time at this, we just want to lay the foundation for biblical sexuality and biblical marriage. And so I want to start by going back to where you probably think I'm going to go, and that is to the Genesis account, uh, because this is where God begins it all, and I want to make several points from this. So our text this morning is Genesis 1 verses 24 through 28. So let me read that. And by the way, this is the beginning of the sixth day of creation. Okay, So that's where we're picking up. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth, beasts of the earth, after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, if you're following along with that and you're listening, you can see from chapter 1 very, very clearly here that when God created, he created three things basically. First was the universe and all that it contains, and that was uh, back in verses 1 through 23 that I did not read for you this morning. But then secondly, obviously the animal world, and that contains a lot of things, living beings, living creatures. Uh, and then thirdly, human beings. I think the universe itself is self-explanatory. That's all that we see in the heavenlies and what we see in the atmosphere around us here. And I'm not going to get into more of that. That's really not our subject for today. But just understand that's what he's talking about here. The animal world is clarified simply by the fact that each of the animals were created for man and man's needs and his purposes. And you see that very clearly in verse 26 of what we just read. But also notice, and this is what we need to see for our subject today, that each of the animals, the living creatures, whatever they are, including the insects and such, were to continue, God says, after their kind. Now, kind, that word there in Hebrew means species or of its specific type and make. 
giving you and me the understanding that everything God created in the animal world was to mate with or reproduce with another of its same genetic traits. It's build, if you will, or it's characteristics, the physical similarities. Very simply, birds with birds, cattle with cattle, fish with fish, and going on. Meaning, you and I know this as clear as anything, that birds don't mate with fish, fish don't mate with birds, and other things outside of the context of their kind. That's very obvious to us. And for humans, let's read again verses 27 and 28, because I just want this to be clear in our minds as our foundation. God created man in his own image. It's a big difference there. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I wanted to reread that for what I said, but also because we learned a couple things from this. One is, is that God made people. That is a uniqueness to everything that he had created, different from every form of animal that he had made because man is not animal. And that's the distinction that we see here. The animal world was created by God, but also we see from this in a very uh, limited personal way or a lesser personal way in its relationship with God. But when it came to man, it was very personal. Notice God said, let us, and I could get into that. That's a, speak, uh, that's a word referring to the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image, meaning man shares, unlike the animal world, similarities with his creator. The whole word meaning behind image here is resemblance or likeness. That's pretty clear. You understand that. Meaning God made man to be a representative figure, if you will, of his own nature and characteristics. Again, very different from the animal world. If we're going to say it another way, we would say that man was made capable of embodying God's transmittable attributes or communicable attributes. And I'm talking about those attributes of God that transcend or continue on over time and through all people, such as the ability to reason and to have intellect and will and emotion and at this point, morality. Like God, because at this point, man was sinless. And that's in the context of how this is written for us. Now, secondly, we're told that God made man both male and female. And we're also told that he blessed them. And that's very significant because that blessing was given to them to fulfill what he had just said, specifically, number one, to rule over his creation, but to also continue humankind. That's what God did. He wanted them to continue by reproducing and giving them the ability to reproduce all for the purpose of the next part of his command. So in other words, God did this with the, next, with the intention of fulfilling the next thing, which was to be fruitful and multiplying, meaning fill the earth. Here's why I created you. Subdue it. Rule over it. And that word subdue means give order to the earth and all the people and the animals of uh, of the world. I guess we could say that God was giving man, and I think this is a, a pretty important uh, understanding here, God was giving man the privilege of being his representative, and that's the idea of ruling over, because God is the ultimate and supreme ruler, and so now he's passing on that ability to do in his, not in place of him, but under him, and also his representation in the world. So his representative to rule, but also his representation in the world. That means that's what the image and likeness is, that the world would see God through man. Not that man is God. Man never becomes God. That should be clear. But that man becomes God's representation in the created order. And so, again, man was God's unique creation who was given the ability and the privilege, the blessing to fill the earth and oversee all that God had created. 
But now what we need to see more specifically from this particular message here in Genesis is, is that God gave these commandments and blessings to both man and woman, meaning one couldn't do it without the other. It's very intentional on God's part because it is impossible, according to God's divine creative plan for man and woman and even animals, but in this case, man and woman, to reproduce without the other one. That was not the way he started things. And that's an important point in the, in the design because science, and you know this if you pay attention, is doing all it can to produce animals and everything else within even themselves, manipulating the created design or the creative design of God to make things happen uh, in a way that was not, let's just say it this way, natural. And the truth is there are certain species that God did create that can do that. I remember when I was in high school studying the earthworms, for example, I remember the term uh, hermaphrodites. And that means that that earthworm has both male and female organs within its own body. It can reproduce from within its own self. And that understanding led science to also, I believe, clearly manipulate other things. And that's what I'm talking about here. Even human bodies or specifically to re-identify male and female. So in other words, if animals can do this and there's a created insect or whatever you want to call the earthworm that can do this, then there must be a way to create this ourselves. In fact, I read an interesting but very disturbing, at least to me, article from Healthline this week titled, Can a Man Get Pregnant? But listen to how the article starts. And as I started reading this article, I thought, okay, what are they going to say here to tell me that man has the ability to do this? Are they going to say that naturally man has the ability? And I'm talking about males have the ability to do this, but no, that's not what they said. In fact, listen how this goes. This is a quote. Yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children on their own. In fact, it's probably a lot more common than you might think. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd go, okay, here's where we're, here's where we're going, that they have determined that this is the genetic inherent innate ability that God created. But that's not what they say by the next sentence. You know this. But in order to explain, we'll need to break down some common misconceptions about how we understand the term man. And there you go. They say not all people who are or were identified male at birth, and the letters there are A-M-A-B, and that's how they refer to it, identified male at birth, identify as men. Those who do are cisgender men. That would be those people like myself who are men by their identification at birth. Conversely, they say some people who were assigned female at birth identify as men. These folks may be transgender men or transmasculine people. Many AFAB or female at birth folks who identify as men or who don't identify as women have the reproductive organs necessary to carry a child. There are also emerging technologies that may make it possible for those who identify as male at birth to carry a child. Your reproductive organs and hormones may change what pregnancy looks like, but your gender isn't and shouldn't be considered a limiting factor. Now, obviously, what they're saying here is that it is not normal in the truest sense of the word for a male to carry a child without there being some form of manipulation or some form of gender re-identification. Now, there are some scientific approaches that I read in this article that are trying to determine that if we manipulate the human body in a male, then they could carry a child. But again, that is against the natural order and development or creation that God formulated in the beginning, meaning man was not made that way. He needed the woman and she needed him. Kevin DeYoung, whom I'm going to take a lot of my information from and give him credit for this because he has written a very, very well thought out, a very simple but very well thought out book entitled What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? And we'll get into more of that later in the next week or so of the things that he addresses, which will help us tremendously. But he says this in the beginning of it, quote, if God wanted to establish a world in which the normative marital and sexual relationship is that between persons of the opposite sex, then Genesis 1 and 2 fits perfectly. 
The narrative strongly suggests what the church has almost uniformly taught. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. A different marital arrangement requires an entirely different creation account, one with two men or two women, or at least the absence of any hints of gender complementarity and procreation. It's hard not to conclude from a straightforward reading of Genesis 1 and 2 that the divine design for sexual intimacy is not any combination of persons or even any type of two persons coming together, but one man becoming one flesh with one woman. I thought that was extremely well said. Now, you and I understand as God's people the, the normalcy of all of this, but all of what was normal even back in Genesis 1 and 2 changed because of Satan's temptation on Eve. And we just have to go through this to build our foundation, bringing sin into the world, as we find out in the very next chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, which basically has distorted and destroyed almost God's work. It won't, but in man's mind has destroyed God's work and continues to destroy, distort, let me use that word, God's work in his natural design for men and women. And the temptation was basically to Eve, you don't need God. That's basically what he said to both Adam and Eve, Eve first. She was the one he came to. You can be God. And that's very clear from Genesis 3, verse 3. He said, or she said rather, in response to why not eat the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, She said, well, from the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, that was a little bit of a change from what God originally had said. He didn't say you should not touch it, but he said you should not eat from it. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. And here's the great lie. And I'm telling you, beloved, this is the verse, verse 5, chapter 3, that everything that Satan spends in this world is formulated from. For God knows that in the day you eat it, from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I wish we had time to go off on that. But just understand that that is the foundational verse. If you trace it back far enough, every subject that rebels against the work of God comes down to that. Even from our own minds, even from our own selves who have been redeemed by Christ, we still struggle with it because we are still affected by this sinful body. Our souls have been transformed, but our bodies and our earthly minds are still affected by it. And so the sinful mind thinks if a person can be God, then they can change whatever they want. I mean, after all, I'm God. And so I'll just manipulate things to fit my own needs and desires because, again, after all, that's what God does. And if I'm God, then I'll make life fit me the best way that I feel about it. Believing such things as, in our context today, man can live with man if he wants to and have a quote-unquote marital happy relationship. A woman can live with a woman if she wants, and I'm talking about partners like husbands and wives. Men, both male at birth, can identify as a woman or vice versa. People can change their sexual orientation or even deny that they fit either one of the categories referring to themselves as non-binary. And so we have just a mess from what God originally intended. But again, now I'm deviating on some paths here. Our purpose is just to look at what God has said, and then we'll later get into the argument. So One of those clear teachings from God's word is not just from Genesis 1, but when we get to Leviticus 18, uh, verses 22 through 30, uh, we hear Moses giving the law of God uh, in a sense where, and this is what we need to understand from Leviticus, the holiness that God looks for in his people. Okay, Now Leviticus is filled with lots of laws. Uh, There are some things that we don't hold on to anymore, but the main thrust of Leviticus is not that God wrote something that was not purposeful, but that Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly. But what really holds on and transcends into the New Testament are the things that are of morality. We are to keep the moral laws, not necessarily whether we wear a certain type of clothing or where we uh, go or do or don't do. Those are all important things, but not necessarily needed today. What God wants us to keep up with is what he has said morally, and that's what's being dealt with here in Leviticus 18. 
when he says in verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female, it is an abomination. Now to you and me, that can't be any more clear. But we'll address some of these things as the confusion of the mind often turns things around. Verse 23, also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. Interesting, isn't it? You wonder why there was judgment and why nations fell apart. God is telling the Hebrews this and the reason why. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns or lives among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations and the land has become defiled. So that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which you have been practiced, which have been practiced before you so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Now that final statement there from God is a reminder to them that I am in charge. I am your God. Listen to me. I am the supreme authority. What I want you to see in this though, is that God very clearly delineates between a man and a woman, a woman and a woman when it comes to sexual practices. It's very obvious. And his disdain for anything other than what he has created. The word abomination means detest or loathsome. And there's other adjectives or uh, definitions we could give with that depending on the context of how it's used. But it's a very strong word identifying that this is not right in my eyes and there will be repercussions from it. Now going on in chapter 20 of Leviticus, God is going to even further clarify his meaning in verse 13 where he says, if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman... Both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. And again, we'll look at that much more specifically next time. I suppose if we wanted to summarize these passages, we hear God saying something like, I am the creator and all those who honor me in their sexual relationship will be blessed. He is the one who created sexual relationship between kinds, as we've just talked about, and types of animals and plants. And for mankind, he honors a sexual relationship between a male and a female in the context of marriage. But of course, as you know, uh, the people didn't listen. They didn't obey him, but they followed their own way, which led God to removing his blessing from them and even in some ways removing them from the land. And we know that because the Apostle Paul will bring up the very same teaching to the church in Rome, basically based off of Leviticus 18 and 20, reminding them of what God had said, showing them now the progression of sin and how God has instituted, even in Paul's day, the following of what will happen in its natural course as God begins to remove his hand on those who willfully disobey his word. Notice Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God, that should be a clear word and warning to us, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And again, we'll deal with this more later. For since the creation of his world, world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. In other words, they became very disobedient. 
They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice how God phrases this very specifically. Professing to be wise, they became fools. In other words, thinking they had the answers, they really became foolish. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their, even their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men and men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And if you notice in all that, there is a very clear progression of judgment that God has laid out, meaning all of these sins, and there are more of them, again, than just homosexuality, But this is the main thrust here that God brings out that bring out the wrath of God, not his blessings. Now, I'll just quickly say here, too, that in this particular text, one of the arguments from the gay community is that God is not referring to consensual sex. He's not talking about people who love him, but people who are basically pedophiles, men with children or young boys and That's who he's really dealing with. And again, we'll deal with all that later because uh, the text of Scripture does not give that merit. It is just an absolutely wrong uh, translation and understanding of what the Lord is saying here. Now, just to give you another reference, even the Lord himself, while on earth, affirmed that his divine plan for sexual intimacy in marriage was Uh, between a man and a woman. He made that very clear, and he did so not so much by speaking directly to the subject of homosexuality or uh, the natural use of man and woman, but he did so in Matthew 19 when he was asked about divorce. You remember the text there, or the context was they were saying, can uh, a man divorce his wife basically for anything? Uh, Moses gave the law of divorcement. Uh, But Jesus counters that by saying, listen, in the beginning, God created male and female. Now, what Jesus is doing there in their argument is he's coming back to the point that let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the foundation. And I'm telling you that God established in his created order male and female, and they are to be the ones who create the home. Now, I understand that from that he will answer their question about uh, what is right. But his point simply that I want to make from this is almost subliminally, but very directly still, he is reminding them of God's original natural created order. So One of the arguments is that Jesus has changed. The God of the Old Testament is not the same God. We brought that up earlier. But Jesus is affirming even while he was on the earth, that's not the case. And again, we'll see more of that later. Basically saying anything other than what the Lord has decreed in his natural, in his original creation is against his holiness. Okay, so now... That's a very general, very brief, in my opinion, overview of some things that you've probably known. Uh, if this is new to you, praise the Lord. Uh, God is wanting you to grow through these things. He, he knows that you're living in a culture uh, that is affirming, as we said at the very beginning, of, of this particular sin. And uh, again, there are many other sins, uh, but uh, we, we are to remember that we are sinful at birth. Uh, we come into this world sinful Uh, But we're dealing with subjects now as God's redeemed people. We're not perfect. The Lord is perfect through us. Uh, We we are redeemed because of his work, but uh, we are called to be, again, his representation in this world. And so it is up to us to speak the truth, even if it means we are to violate some relationship, uh, if we are to a threat of uh, ruining some relationship or breaking some relationship. We are to love him first and his word even if that means that we are to find ourselves uh, living the rest of our days in uh, incarcerated, uh, in prison, like our brothers may be facing even in Canada right now. I fully have I've said many times over, I've thought many times over that uh, I can, I hope this won't happen, but I can see the day 
where there will probably be uh, great um, judgment in this world in the legal system towards God's people and especially leaders. It would not surprise me that if one day I find myself um, having a prison ministry (laughs) because that's where I'll be. I pray that that's not the case. I don't want that to happen. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, we will do what God has commanded us to do. And so uh, we're going to stop right here. Next time we'll point out some of the things, specifically that the gay community, I've already alluded to this quite a few times, that says about these things. But until then, if I could just leave you with this thought, we are to remember again that we have all sinned and we have come short of the glory of God. Uh, In Paul's teachings clearly in the book of Romans, in God's word throughout, we understand that it is only by his grace that we have been saved and we have the privilege of entering into his heavenly realm. And so our journey is to understand the truth. That's always the purpose of God's people. But let's be as gentle as we possibly can. Let's be as loving as we possibly can and caring for the gay community and all others who live their life opposed to what the word of the Lord is truly teaching and always being careful that we're examining our own hearts in light of everything that's going on and what God says. In fact, our first words to ourselves should be when we read the text of scripture, Lord, show me my own heart that I may not violate what you've called me to live according to your uh, your standards and what you've set forth. And so let's leave it right there. And so uh, let's pray now and uh, we'll join together. Hopefully this Wednesday night, we'll hopefully be back on track. We'll keep you in touch with how we're looking with the parking lot, depending on what the storm's going to be looking like. Uh, but at this point, we should be on track for Wednesday night for dinner, Awana and everything as scheduled. But we'll keep you informed on all of that. Okay. All right. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your truth, albeit it is challenging at times to discern. Our human minds don't always understand, so we thank you that you've left us, you have given to us your spirit, that we may have uh, the right kind of discernment. We thank you that your word is clear. Lord, mostly we thank you that you've shown us that we are not to live by our emotions or just the way we feel about things, but we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord, help us now in these days to be kind and gentle and loving, uh, to help the gay community, specifically since that's our subject for today, in the next couple weeks, that we will be uh, very, very careful to not do an offense or to cause offense. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to help people see the truth so that they will receive your blessings and not your judgment. Thank you, Lord, for these things, and we pray them all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.